Hey, Pitchfork Economics listeners, we have another Ask Me Anything episode coming up where we answer uh, your questions about economics, and we would love to do that. So leave us a voicemail at 731-388-9334, and uh, we'll try to get to your questions. The pay of CEOs has absolutely skyrocketed over the past couple of decades to levels that are quite alarming. Wages for ordinary people have gone up 18%, while the wages for CEOs have gone up 1,400%. It doesn't have to be this way. You can actually run a big company without paying somebody $100 million a year. You know, this is just neoliberalism run amok. From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why. I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures. I'm David Goldstein, senior fellow at Civic Ventures. One of the great things about doing an economics podcast with you, Nick, is that we get your insider's view, the inside the room uh, perspective on how terribly wrong the economy has gone these past 40 years, because you've been in the CEO's office. You know yeah. exactly how all all this works. And one of the things that's happened over the past 40 years is this explosion in CEO pay. So tell us, Nick, how do you guys do this? How do you pull this off? <laughs> well, it is, in the truest sense of the word, it is a racket. And it's this weird arms race that a few people win and everybody else in the society is losing. And it, it's always driven me crazy. It is one of these collective action problems that is very hard to battle. But th there is this process. So if you're wondering how CEO pay is set, let me tell you, there will be a committee of the board of directors, uh, usually helmed by another CEO of a big company called the compensation committee. And on an annual or semi-annual basis, the compensation committee does an analysis of how much the, C the CEO and the executives should be compensated. And what that compensation committee will always do is hire, hire an outside firm, a set of consultants to do an analysis industry-wide so that they can benchmark the CEO's pay and the top management's pay in the industry. And obviously, the consulting firm wants to stay on friendly terms with the folks who are hiring them, the compensation right, they, committee. Because they get paid to do this. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh huh. And obviously, the people who are hiring the consultants are looking for a very particular answer. <laughs> right, because they get compensated based on what other CEOs get compensated. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so what the compensation analysis will always show is that the executives are never compensated at the top of the range, but rather will be taught compensated at the middle of the range or below the middle of the range because, quote unquote, we have a great management team 
shouldn't they be compensated more? Right. And so the answer is always, well, you know, it's a great team. And, you know, as we look around the world at other CEOs, we find lots who are compensated more uh, or compensated the same. And therefore, our recommendation is that they should make even more money. And this is transparently dishonest. <laughs> well, and, and Goldie, here's how you know it's transparently dishonest. Because in the history of these comp committee meetings and in these, these consultants, at least in my experience, and, and I, I would question if it's ever happened, these consultants never come back and say, we should drop everybody's pay by a third ever. So, so they ever. never, they never suggest a pay cut. Oh, but surely like when the economy's bad and the company's in the dumpster, it must, I mean, you're paid exactly what you're worth. If your company's doing poorly, you should get a, no. a pay cut. No, no, <laughs> no. Wow. The answer is never. <laughs> this person makes $3 million. They should really make a million right. and a half. And, and, ever. In, and in the rare case, as as recently happened actually with Apple, where where the consulting firm says, uh, I I we actually think a hundred million dollars is too much. The yeah, board, the board will be like, it. fuck that. <laughs> it, so it, the thing about this process is that it's a ratchet that moves upward, right? Only it's it's and a, never it's a, downward. It's a racket with a ratchet. Yes, <laughs> and that's. How and why this happens. Right. right. So if you are, let's be clear, you're a CEO who's serving on the board of another company, which is yes. pretty typical. Not all board members are CEOs, but a lot of them are. Oh, so oh, but, but, but to be clear, if they're not CEOs, they're next in line. They're some senior executive yeah, specializing know. in marketing or whatever it is, right? It right. is all corporate executives. CEOs are wannabe CEOs. So, so you're a CEO, you're on this compensation committee. You go and you you recommend this this big raise for the CEO of this company, and then back at your own company when it's time for your compensation to be evaluated, you're compared to the compensation of this CEO of other who CEOs, of, right? Who you just gave a raise just to, which exactly. will mean that that you'll get a big raise just Correct. to keep you competitive. Correct. With yeah, yeah. We're not talking about, you know, obviously there's founders, right? There's there's your old friend, Jeff Bezos, who I'm sure he didn't take much of a salary. No, uh, I, I, I'll bet you Jeff Bezos still takes a $100,000 a year salary. Right. We're not talking about that because no. he's he's got all this stock from being a founder. Yeah. We're talking about like Tim Cook, who clearly has created a lot of value. Yeah. I mean, he, he has, I mean, this is a supply chain guy, so... You know, Apple was very fortunate to have uh, one of the the foremost supply chain managers in the world running their company during a supply chain crisis. Yeah. Um, but he's not a founder. Uh, his enormous he's a billionaire based on compensation from Apple, not from founding Apple, but from yeah. working for Apple. Yeah. And you see that all across the corporate world. And uh, to be clear, it is totally out of whack. We have seen CEO pay increase by over 1400% since 
Is that the number from the EPI report? And it is. And, and by the way, we're we're talking about numbers from this uh, EPI report, uh, co-authored by a former podcast uh, guest of ours, uh, Josh Bivens. But we're not talking to Josh today. We're talking with uh, Mark Kreidler, who uh, wrote about this for Capital in Maine. Yeah, and it should be a fascinating conversation. Let's talk to Mark. My name is Mark Kreidler. I am a a freelance writer based in California uh, whose work appears in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and many other publications. Mark, so uh, thanks for joining us on this podcast hosted by an overcompensated corporate titan. Uh, <laughs> you, you recently uh, you recently uh, wrote about that for Capital in Maine. Uh, tell us what you found. Well, in sum, what I found was, to me at least, pretty astonishing. You know, the compensation of CEOs at America's top 350 companies, which is where economists were really doing their research, has, uh, it's always run well ahead of, you know, what a rank and file worker would make. Uh, but that sort of trailing gulf between what a what an everyday worker makes and what the top paid executives in a company make, although that's always been in play and understandably so, the gulf between workers and executives has been rising really dramatically. And at the very highest level, and this is what, you know, we found and what we reported on, the pay of CEOs has absolutely skyrocketed over the past couple of decades to levels that are, or should be, I, I think, quite alarming, but are really, they're going unchecked. And so I guess I wouldn't say that alarm is really registered yet. The data that you cite, it's just astonishing, is that their compensation packages have grown, is it 1,460%? from 1978 to 2021, while the compensation for the typical worker has grown by 18%. Yeah, and and, and look, e even trying to place, you know, sort of any context on that, if if you were heavily invested in the stock market during that time, you would have enjoyed a tremendous run-up, which would have crested over a thousand percent. If you're a top one percenter in the US, your earnings have, have risen, you know, not quite 400%, 385% over that time. So good run-ups. Nothing remotely compared to what we're talking about with CEOs. The yeah. CEO pay, uh, the average pay of a top CEO in, in one of America's top 350 companies, and again, these are you know larger companies that are churning revenue, is 20, nearly $28 million. That, that's last year, 2021 figure. $28 million average pay. And it raises all sorts of questions. And, and to me, one of the immediate questions, which is what I was trying to answer you guys when I really set out to work on this piece was, what do you get for $28 million? And the answer appears to be nothing that you wouldn't have gotten from a lower paid CEO 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 25 years ago. In other words, the candidate pool isn't getting any better. They're right. just getting paid higher. They're not, working, they're not working more. They certainly are not, no. Their IQs are not higher, right? Wait. Wait, Nick, Nick, I've read I've read the Econ 101 textbook and the market <laughs> pays you exactly what you're worth. So so surely these CEOs must be getting more productive. But they're not. It, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, and, and I have to say, I got to back up a step and say, I relied really heavily on the research being done at the the Economic Policy Institute. They track this kind of stuff. They've been watching these sorts of numbers for years. They're constantly interested in sort of the interplay between compensation and production. Um, and it, it is 
clear that there's absolutely no direct link between the rise in what CEOs are being paid and sort of the quality of work they're delivering. In, in general, yeah. you know, people who run companies run companies the way they generally have always run companies. They answer to shareholders. And if it's a publicly traded company, which almost all of these are, then of course they're answering to a stock price. That has never changed. Yeah. But what's interesting though is, I mean, you know, we brought up the word productivity. Productivity in the country has fallen with the increase in CEO pay. Yeah. Right. It has. Yes. I mean, the country's productivity numbers are actually going down while we compensate the people who are theoretically in charge of creating that productivity more. It's quite astonishing. To be clear, productivity has increased. It's the rate of productivity increase that's declined. No, no, no. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Productivity right. has right. increased, but we used to have big numbers annually, mm -hmm. and now we have small numbers annually, and there is an almost perfect inverse correlation <laughs> between how much we're paying the captains of industry and how much true productivity the economy is producing. So let's be clear, around the time in the 1970s that corporate, the CEO pay took off, uh, there was a change in philosophy about how to compensate CEOs, how to comp compensate executives. Uh, that we went from making them just managers to part owners. And we started compensating them with stock as opposed to salary. Mark, how, how much of CEO compensation today is in the form of uh, stock and stock options as opposed to good old-fashioned wages like it used to be? That's a critical point. The answer to your question is that you know the vast majority of CEO pay is in the the form of stock awards. G generally, in in the the EPI studies, about eighty percent of CEO compensation is tied up in stock and stock awards. And salary, if we take that as a term, just to mean my wages, salary is about ten percent. So anytime there's a a company that's in a public crisis, and you see an announcement that a CEO has agreed to forego his salary for the coming year as part of the team response to the crisis, it's important to bear in mind he's given up about one-tenth, or right. she, giving up about one-tenth of what they make. And that that's a dramatic turn. At the time that it was sort of conceived and put into place, one of the thoughts, I guess, in support of it was simply, we want them to be part owners. We want a CEO to, to want to drive the stock price as high as possible because they to benefit from the rising stock price. And I think what this sort of, what we're looking at right this moment, and these are, again, these are 2021 figures, the most current that we have, is sort of that theory on steroids, where it's just been taken to the highest, the highest extremes. And most CEOs wouldn't even consider coming into a company unless they were being significantly rewarded with stock and stock options. And we have to look at what makes that possible, which is the uh, explosion of stock buybacks we've seen over the past couple decades. You can't reward your CEOs infinitely uh, with stock if you don't uh, buy it back or, or dilute by uh, issuing more shares. And since it's earnings per share, 
that is uh, the key metric that tends to influence stock price, it, it's created this bizarre incentive for CEOs to focus on share price rather than the uh, rather than the health of the company. So it's very easy to increase your share price, to increase your earnings per share simply by buying back stock and um, increasing the earnings per share by reducing the number of shares, which, by the way, now gives you more shares to uh, gift to CEOs. Yeah, absolutely. The We saw a really dramatic example of that um, in the first couple of years of the pandemic, 2020 and 2021 each. The health insurance behemoths in our country had and have had a couple of amazing years uh, profit-wise. And the short explanation for that is that we all kept paying our premiums, uh, but none of us wanted to go to the doctor uh, during the height of, of COVID fear. Or could. And, or could. <laughs> you know, yeah, many, right. <laughs> many people lack the capacity and others just simply would not. They wouldn't even go for routine care. So the health insurance companies pocketed um, record profits um, to the point that they even had to issue rebates uh, in some cases to customers because they exceeded the limits of what they're federally allowed to make. And what a lot of those companies then did with those massive profits, United Healthcare is one leading insurance uh, company in the, in, in the healthcare field, is simply buy back their own stock. In fact, they, they spent billions with a B during the pandemic on buying back their own stock. So they can then, yeah, control those shares and redistribute often to the very top of their management food chain. It is just a sign of the neoliberal times that during the biggest healthcare crisis in a hundred years, <laughs> health insurance companies made out like bandits. It's, they did phenomenally well. It is so well, what we deserve. The other thing, Mark, which you pointed out was during during the crisis, the the COVID crisis, how CEO pay increased while the economy was in the most dramatic recession since the Great Depression. Yeah, it, it may sound uh, a little counterintuitive, but really it's just about the market. If you're right. if 80% of your compensation is in the stock market or in market investments, well, the markets, you know, in particularly in 2020, were astoundingly great. <laughs> market prices took off. And so compensation went right up, you know, the chain along with it, which is one of one way that you get, you know, to a figure like uh, again, $28 million on average per top CEO in America's top 350 companies. You know, I live in California and and we're we're fairly closely attuned to, you know, PG&E, which is what's the primary utility provider in Northern California and really in a dominant provider in California. You know, PG&E brought in a new CEO last year at $50 million a year. Well, that's a company that's on, that's on the hook potentially for billions and billions in damages related to California wildfires that were uh, in some cases caused by PEE uh, wires and, and, uh, and PGE actions or inactions. And yet that price is booked and, and, and is rising. And it's significantly tied to the, you know, the share of the stock. That's the system as it's currently set. It would only be fair, by the way, if if the uh, PG&E CEO was uh, on the hook for some of those claims. He should be made liable for that. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to get the if you're going to get the upside, you should get the downside too, right? Yeah. The whole dynamic's fascinating because one of the lines of thought behind the, these sorts of, of levels of pay is we we have to get the best. 
and that leads to this concept of, and, and I'm certainly, you know, my economics background is completely sketchy, so I had to have this explained to me. But, you know, this this concept of rents, which was a foreign term to me outside of what you pay for an apartment, um, it comes into play here. And the concept of rents is simply if you take a job at $85,000 that you would have gladly taken at 65, you're getting $20,000 in what are in what are called rents. You're, it's just a payment above and beyond what you would have accepted to take the job. And it's a fair question to ask if someone's being paid $28 million, would they have taken the job at 20? Would they have taken it at $16 million? Would they have taken it at $14 million? There's no functioning system under which these levels of of pay are determined for CEOs. It's like they're getting paid what they are simply because they are, because the boards vote to approve these compensation packages. And and weirdly, the boards are often composed of uh, CEOs at other large companies. <laughs> That's right. And, and in fact, you know, if you if you not that the game's rigged, but if you if you're a CEO, you have significant sway over who sits on your board. Well, if mm -hmm. you lard if you lard that board with friendly faces. Um, then I think we have an answer to the question of why only 3% of proposed CEO packages ever get voted down. Because in most, not in every company, but in, in many, many companies, you know, I might be a shareholder, but I don't vote on the CEO. That, that stuff is proxied out to the board. The board decides the CEO's compensation. Yeah. You know, I may, I may ultimately vote by proxy for board members, but I don't vote on the CEO's salary. Well, these packages never get overturned. And there's a great example of, obviously, Apple's a thriving company, so it's it's fair to say their CEO should be well compensated, right? They had a great mm -hmm. year in 2021. Their their stock price went up almost 40%. Huge year. Tim Cook, Apple's CEO, was approved earlier this year for a, a package that, that traces back to last year of $100 million. And even one of their sort of consumer interest groups, that's a shareholder group, protested them <laughs> There's absolutely no reason to do this. They didn't like the, the total. They didn't like the way it was structured. They didn't like the, the, the fact that it would, you know, pay out money to Tim Cook, even if he left the job. And, and it didn't matter because the board is the one who approves that. And it sailed right through. So Tim Cook, you know, gets paid $100 million. But Mark, had they had they given him $50 million instead of $100 million, surely Tim Cook would have gone to work for the other largest company in the world. That, that is that is paying a hundred million dollars. Yeah, exactly. So that that's that's the that's a fair consumer question to ask. It's a fair <laughs> it's a fair shareholder question to ask, and that isn't a question that gets asked very often. People just sort of yeah. shrug and say, "Well, I guess that's what they get." Yeah. So one of the questions I have, I'd love to know if there's been research done on it, is the way in which these CEO pay packages affect the next. 50 or 100 executives at these large companies, right? Because it's not just Tim Cook that's making a shit ton of money. That's There's right. a whole group of people at the top who are making not that much, but I, I suspect significant double-digit percentages of it. Yeah, the well, the economists um, at the EPI have, have been able to establish that whatever a CEO makes, whatever, just tag the number, yeah, that will that will generally affect at the very least the next four or five highest paid executives in that company. Right. So so that's sort of the rainmaker money, right? That's where the biggest money gets paid. And and if you if you tie together the CEO's compensation with let's say the next four top executives in that company, 
you can, at that point, you're getting to 5%, again, according to EPI's research, 5% or 6% of the company's total profit is being paid out simply to those top handful of executives. One of the examples that I was able to find in support of that, I mentioned the PG&E new CEO, she's being paid $50 million. Her customer off, top customer officer then made $7.5 million. The chief operating officer, $6.5 million. Chief risk officer, uh, more than a million and a half. So all of those numbers rise, not certainly not in proportion exactly to a CEO, but there is a, a dramatic effect that is set by whatever number the CEO draws on the next handful of people who really, it's a non-trivial chunk of money. It's a fair amount of money that's coming out of a company's profits. Yeah. And so let's turn our attention to why we should care. Like, is this just sour grapes or is there a substantive social or economic reason to be offended by these differentials? Well, I can tell you that the research shows that sort of historically up through about the 60s and into the 70s, the, the leader of a company, CEO generally, would their, their earnings would be about seven times a rank and file pay, about seven times what an average worker would make in that same company. And, you know, top executives get paid more than rank and file. That's a fact. Um, what we're seeing now is a proportion that's hard to even explain. It's hard to even quantify it so massive. So if you are an Apple engineer, uh, again, part of one of the most successful companies on earth, and you make you know, a solid six figures, the, the top executive's pay has run away from you to the extent that you are functionally working in two different stratospheres. That to me as an employee would be an issue. As a stockholder, I, you know, I don't know what stockholders generally think in most of these companies, but I was struck by the fact that one of Apple's stockholder groups protested their own CEO's compensation package as functionally, they processed it as silly and poorly put together and excessive. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's outrage so much as it is straight up everyday rank and file workers are, are, are not living in the same stratosphere as the people who run their companies. And yeah, that, that to me probably leads to a detachment in, in the workforce a little bit. Yeah. So what should we, what should we do? <laughs> That's a great question. One of the things that research has indicated, the economists who've looked into this pretty carefully have noted this is that in companies that have union represent, representation, the, the numbers tend to hold the line a little bit better than some of the examples we've been discussing. One of the reasons for that is, you know, you come up for negotiations every couple of years and the CEO's salary gets dragged out in the public square as a debate point. Yeah. And so companies that have union representation do tend to have a little bit more uh, tamped down cap on what CEOs make. Um, beyond that, one of the ways in which this could be sort of more directly addressed, assuming you want to address it, is to restructure board vote construction so that the board just doesn't simply rubber stamp such a critical notion as what a CEO should be paid. Right now, it's just to, I mean, again, the boards make those decisions and the boards are generally handpicked or a huge chunk of them are handpicked by the CEO whose salary is up for negotiation. If stockholders had a greater direct representation there, you might see some different results. 
I'd also suggest progressive taxation. I mean, if you getting back to Tim Cook, if uh, your if the top marginal tax rate went back to ninety one percent, let's say on incomes over fifty million dollars a year, uh, there wouldn't be much uh, purpose in giving somebody compensation over fifty million dollars a year. There's not much gain there for the CEO right. at that point. Yeah. Another thing you could do is you could simply for public companies legislate a maximum ratio of medium uh, of the CEO pay to median worker pay. You could just say you could 50 times, which doesn't limit CEO pay. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that's right. you're not limiting yeah. CEO pay. You're saying it has to be in some reasonable proportion to whatever everybody else makes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Some economists have suggested tying the corporate tax rate to that very theory, you know, to sort yeah. of have an established ratio. And if you're outside of that established ratio, then you you pay a higher corporate tax rate. The idea yeah. is simply to to rein in a sort of pointlessly out of control cost. Uh -huh. um, and, and again, I think we probably wouldn't be talking about this if there were some empirical evidence that said, but wait, look at the, the vastly superior performance you're getting from your CEOs for offering this higher rate. I mean, just generally, you know, companies are avaricious. They, they act in their own best interest. They generally spend money where they think it leads them to make money. There's just no empirical evidence that anything like that is happening. They're just getting paid more because they are. If it's good enough for Major League Baseball, I mean, they've got a luxury tax. So you can go, right. over, you can go over the cap if you want. You just have to pay a tax on it. And so it doesn't prevent uh, the New York Yankees from having this this huge payroll. It just means they have to pay a tax to essentially to the other clubs in the in the league. And that's, that's right. what that's what Apple would have to do. If you if you want to if you want to pay them a hundred million dollars, you just have a higher tax rate than the uh, other uh, than your competitors allegedly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. And, and you and you know that going in, and you make that decision right. consciously. Right. You know, there's there's one other uh, little a fallout from this that sort of does fall under this. To your point, it sort of follows under the 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 category of why should we care. There's a little bit of a trickle down effect if we assume that, you know, top CEOs are generally in demand and that they also work in their careers in jobs other than the CEO of the company they're currently in. One of the things that happens is that, you know, non-public institutions and higher education and, and, and foundations find themselves struggling because their idea of what a CEO should make is so completely out of line with what top CEO makes, yeah. what a top CEO makes in the United States. That if you are, for example, a thriving university somewhere in the United States, and you would love to have a former, you know, top corporate executive come in to run your business, essentially, your chances of hiring that person are incredibly low, unless you pay at a scale that's completely out of proportion to everything else about your operation. Yeah. yeah. And that becomes a, that becomes a difficulty. Again, not arguing that there you know, aren't other wonderful candidates, just arguing that the price of everything rises when the price at the top rises. That's the problem with inequality, is that it creates an arms race that no one wins except the person at the very top. <laughs> that's, that's what we're seeing right? in action right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's and, happening. You know, so it's bad for the society generally and good for a couple of people 
particularly. And yeah. anyway, well, this is a fascinating topic and one we have discussed before, but the, the research just is so, it's so vivid and disturbing. Well, pe people should be angry and appalled by this. The, the, the idea that, that for, you know, average wages, median wages have risen uh, 18% over the past 40 years. And uh, CEO pay has risen. What's the number? Uh, it's 1,400%. Yeah. yeah, that's eight. There's, there's a bit of a difference between 18% and 1,400%. Productivity increases by 60%. <laughs> wages increase by only 18%. Not, not even close to keeping up with productivity while CEO pay increases 1400%. You, you can see where that money's coming from. It's not coming from being more productive. It's, it's coming, coming from wages. Of, it's coming out of wages share of, of the economy. And, and we know that broadly that we've seen, yeah. we've seen wages, labor share of GDP fall uh, in line with uh, the incomes of the top 1% going up. Yeah. Yeah, certainly so. And, you know, I think there have been multiple studies that have suggested that if, you know, worker minimum wages had stayed in line with productivity, most the minimum wage in the country right now would be around $25 an hour. So, you, you know, clearly productivity has increased. Um, the CEOs generally and specifically are not responsible for that. <laughs> and their compensation is at this point wildly out of line with the value they're actually bringing to their companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One final question, Mark, why do you do this work? Well, <laughs> I think if you don't shine a light uh, on these sorts of uh, topics, you can't have a conversation. And I think that living in California, especially, we're just very, I'm, I'm increasingly aware with each year that I live here, you know, of the sort of staggering levels of inequity and inequality in, in the state. These are problems that are, they can be remedied. They can be. This is a really extreme example of inequality in, in, in a way that needs to be discussed so that it can be at some point managed. Um, and, and, and again, if you don't raise consciousness about this stuff, it, it, you can't have the conversation. You can't have a conversation. We can't take a step forward. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Absolutely. And great work. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. I do. I do want to defend myself, though, Goldie, because I'm not. I've never been an overcompensated CEO. Just so you know. <laughs> no, you've been a founder. I have. Yeah, and also. You had a family business. I know you've told me your uh, your your father. Um, I think you've complained he was uh, notoriously cheap in terms of compensating himself. But that was a strategy, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was a strategy, and it was uh, a, a moral framework, right? Like my dad felt strongly that the people who worked in our factories created virtually as much value as we did. And we shouldn't make much more than they did. And I doubt I ever made more than working for the family business five, six, seven times more than, you know, our median worker. I doubt, right. I can't, I mean, plus or minus, maybe less. And he made the same as me, you know, like, so, we, you know, we never, 
overcompensated ourselves. And we believe that uh, we should, you know, if, if there were excess profits, we should put them back in the business. And that's how we kept our tax uh, burden right. low. And, and that's why we had a successful enterprise. I just, I just think that all of this, you know, this is just neoliberalism run amok. The idea that the, the more you make, the more you're worth and the more you're worth, the more you make. And, you know, we didn't talk for a long time about in the interview, why we should care, why our listeners should care. And there, there's a couple of three reasons they should care. The first is that above some reasonable threshold, every dollar more than that threshold, the CEO and the top managers make is just money straight out of the pockets of ordinary workers. Right. There's a tendency to think that it's actually coming from shareholders, but it's not. The shareholders always get their due. It's coming out of workers. It's They're paying workers less so that they can make more. That they can make more, right? And mm -hmm. the idea that like wages for ordinary people have gone up 18%, while the wages for CEOs have gone up 1,400%, has nothing to do with economics. It has to do with right. power. Right. And the reason why CEO pay has gone from uh, around 30 times the uh, median workers pay to about 400 times, uh, that's got to do with power. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing to do with anything economic. It's just, right. it's just egregiously unacceptable, you know, for the people who decide what other people should make, giving themselves these ridiculous raises, while the people who actually do the work get nothing. It's just, you know, like you should be pissed about that. There's no reason for that. There's no justification for that. It's just stealing by yeah. another name. To harken back to a, a recent episode, it violates the social contract. And people should be angry and demand better. Right. It is undermining our norm, our economic right. and democratic norms. So obviously changing norms can be done because yeah. it has been done. The norms used to be one thing, now it's another. It's a more difficult problem to approach, but there are some things we can do yeah. to, to address overcompensation. Some of them we, we mentioned in our conversation with Mark. One is uh, it's clear that higher rates of unionization would help bring this back in line uh, yeah. because it's uh, harder for these companies to negotiate low wages for their uh, their employees when they're being so lavishly compensated. So there, there's definitely data showing that unionized companies have lower CEO to worker uh, pay ratios than non-unionized -union companies. And there's a lot of other reasons to support uh, increasing rates of unionization in the private sector. Clearly, that's a goal we should be pursuing nationally. Uh, another one, and I believe in this, I think we need higher top marginal tax rates. We're not talking about 91% on incomes over $200,000 or $500,000 or $1 million. But you know what? A 91% top marginal tax rate, like we had in the Eisenhower administration, uh, in a Republican administration during the, the greatest spurt of economic growth and uh, the greatest spurt in the growth of, a, of the middle class ever, I think, yeah. You, you want to make over uh, $25 million a year, tax that at 91%. That would totally take away the uh, incentive. 
a luxury tax like we talked about. You know, if you want to pay your CEOs more, uh, a higher ratio than is the the set norm, okay, fine, you do that, but you pay a higher tax rate. But I want to bring up something which we've been talking about since the very beginning of this podcast decades ago. <laughs> it feels like decades ago now, Nick. And that is stock buybacks. Because if you're if you are compensating your executives with stock, you can't keep doing that unless you're buying back stock. And that's what feeds this cycle in the end. Stock buybacks, which used to be illegal before 1982, if these companies could not continuously buy back stock instead of taking their profits and raising wages or investing it in expanding production, instead just throwing it away, buying back their own stock so they can give it away again to their executives, they wouldn't be able to keep up this stock-based compensation at such an outrageous rate. Yeah, no, that's true. I propose a, a, a slightly different approach, which is legislation, which makes uh, a ratio above 50 times the median wage for top executives illegal. That basically you cannot do that. You can simply cannot compensate yourself more than 50 times your employees. We changed the incentive of CEOs from maximizing shareholder value to maximizing the welfare of their workers. Correct. You know, and I, I just I'm more and more attracted to this principle, which is tying the top and the bottom together. You know, I've mentioned this before, you know, like the best way to address inequality would be to raise the minimum wage back to where it should be. 24, 25 bucks an hour, and then tie it not to inflation or productivity, but to the wages of the top 1%. And if the wages of the top 1% of Americans rise a lot, so will the wages of the folks at the bottom. So we all rise and fall together, right? I, I think that that construct, I think, is to me more and more attractive. And it's a way to align incentives that I think is very healthy and productive. And it's a very middle out principle, too, in it that is. if the wages of the vast majority of Americans are rising, the the incomes of the top 1% will rise with them. Yeah, absolutely. Because we all do better when we all do better. Exactly. Well, it's a fascinating subject. And uh, that EPI report was really stark. Not yeah. the first time I'd seen the data, but definitely no. a very compelling recapitulation of it. Um, and it was great to have Mark on. Really cool. Yeah. And as always, there's links in the show notes to both the EPI report and to uh, Mark's piece in Capital in Maine. So we encourage you to click through and read them. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.